Totally Football Show. Friday night at St Mary's, a man named Rabbit Hutch sees bloody mauling from visiting foxes. After bitter 9-0 defeat, will Saints now say 9-bitter to their Austrian manager? And Leicester, they couldn't, could they? Elsewhere, from no Xhaka required for Arsenal fans to Chelsea unfreezing Captain America to VAR, like sand in your Vaseline, it's been a busy weekend in the Premier League and we've got everything you need to know on this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hi, listener. Here with us today on Totally Football Show, we have Matt Davis-Adams. Hi, Hi, Matt. Hello, James. Nice to see you. Uh, just back from Anfield, Daniel Story. Good morning. And you were at the Emirates on Sunday, Michael, Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi. You were, weren't you? I was. Affirmative confirm, on that. Yes. Oh, we've got a lot to talk about there. I'll say. I'll say. A busy weekend. 38 goals I made it. And a lot of talking points. Uh, it's left Liverpool still six points clear of Man City at the top. City themselves two points clear of Leicester and Chelsea. But now... A little bit of daylight in the shape of four points between them and Arsenal in fifth and all the rest. Watford still bottom, looking for their first win of the season. All right, the big talking point was that crazy game at St Mary's, but we will come on to that very shortly. First, Daniel, you're fresh back from Anfield for Liverpool Spurs. That rematch of the Champions League final, this time it was Spurs who scored early. Yes, it was. And it's basically damning with, with faint praise that Spurs will probably be reasonably not happy with the result, but you know, almost breathe a sigh of relief because when the team came out and Pochettino had brought back all those players who we thought were being frozen out and Spurs fans looked pretty angry, we kind of feared that it could be a, one of those Liverpool-Arsenal games where they just overpower them. And Liverpool were the better team. They created more chances and after the opening goal, it was, it was pretty much attack versus defence, albeit Spurs quite dangerous on the counter. To me, it was a match that shows how different directions that both sides have gone since that Champions League final. Because you look at Liverpool's fullbacks and you look at Spurs' fullbacks, and I know we talk about fullbacks quite a lot because they're so important, but the way that Alexander Arnold and Robertson switch play and you know both surge at the same time or one stay and one go, and you just look at how separate. Rose and Aurier and to be honest all the different component parts of Spurs team are and you just think yeah that's why one team is top of the league and one is now I think eight points off the top four. That said Spurs were in the lead for most of the game could have doubled up had Son been a little bit luckier with his shot. Was there any sign of especially with City having pegged Liverpool back to just three points ahead with their victory the previous day. Mm. Was there any sign of nerves among the crowd at Anfield or did everyone just assume that Liverpool were going to get it done? I think there were a few groans in the 10 minutes after Spurs scored when, when a few passes went awry. And, and there's no doubt that Klopp, although he says he isn't, they've let in exactly one goal in eight of their 10 games. And that will annoy him because at some point Liverpool will, will come a cropper with that. Clearly they dropped points against Man United after falling behind. And, yeah, this time they got it done. But, yeah, that will annoy him. But, you know, they're still winning and they've still got a six-point lead. Mm. As for Spurs, Johnny Blaine writes, if you didn't predict we'd lose to an Aurea conceded penalty, you're not Spurs. Uh, Sergio Aurea Pochap has conceded four penalties now in 48 games that will come since his Spurs debut. No Premier League player has given away more. Was this, it seems to have been hailed by Tottenham fans as a real step backwards. Is that your view, Michael? I think that's a little bit harsh. I mean, they lost fairly narrowly to, I think, a phenomenal side in Liverpool. There were some question marks, though, I think, about the selection and also about the formation that um, Pochettino used. Eriksen and Son were playing really weird, kind of narrow roles on the on the side of the midfield. And it was almost like Pochettino had received a scouting report that said, 
you know, you've really got to focus on stopping Liverpool's midfield, but the fullbacks, they're not going to hurt you, which is the exact opposite of what Liverpool are. And I thought Alexander Arnold's passing was just sensational. I mean, people talk about him and Robertson in the same kind of breath. Um, but I think Alexander Arnold's just got so much more to his game. He's a deep line playmaker. It's not just about the crosses that he whips in, which he does very well. He was floating passes over the defence. He created a chance with a throw in. His switches to Robertson were really the main thing that I think was damaging Tottenham's shape. So, yeah, there was a, a couple of defensive lapses uh, late on from Alexander Arnold, but I thought overall he was fantastic. Yeah, big test coming up for Liverpool, I think, in, in December um, because I had a look through their results this morning and I couldn't think of a 90-minute performance that, that matched the heights that they reached last year in the Premier League, um, although they've been getting the job done. And, and in December, they've got nine games minimum, potentially 10 if they get through to the quarterfinals of the League Cup, two of which will be in the Club World Cup. So if they carry on kind of conceding goals and winning by the odd goal, you wonder if that's when it might start to catch up with them. Yeah, and as for Spurs, no wins in 11 league games away from home. Worst such run since the George Graham days. Crikey, man. Mm. Gazaniga was excellent, though, eh? Yeah, I wonder if he'll be first choice, actually, when Lloris comes back. But but then you think if, if Rose, Eriksson and co are playing in games like this, then then potentially he won't. But there's not much more that he can be doing to, to stake his claim. I thought one of the best parts of his performance, Gazaniga, was that brilliant kick downfield to Son for mm-hmm. the, uh, the chance where he hit the bar. A brilliant ball, like the fade on it to almost curl around Lovren was fantastic. Klopp afterwards slightly peculiarly gave Alisson some credit for forcing Son onto his weaker left foot, which I thought was weird because one, Son is basically the most two-footed player in the Premier League, and two, he did give him an open goal. Yeah. <laughs> strange, uh, strange compliment that. Klopp, who's having a big hug in with uh, Hendo at the end. So many critics take a dim view. Of, uh, of Jordan Henderson but Klopp clearly loves him what does he see that other folk don't Daniel? I think he, he's one of those players players basically you know he's not although he's Liverpool captain it's hard to imagine a Liverpool captain who would divide Liverpool supporters or some Liverpool supporters more than him but you know when he scores the goal it is that full-throated celebration it is that fist pump to the crowd it is getting right. everyone together and it's clear that Klopp sees him as that him on the pitch to kind of get everyone together because Fabinho is incredibly calm and composed. Jorginho Vanaldum is a is a, a kind of gliding box to box player rather than a you know a Steven Gerrard type. So I think he just gives that passion. Even Virgil Van Dijk, although he's a leader, is not you know it's not passion. But he's not just an on field cheerleader. Isn't he? When he, that 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 shift that they highlighted post game across to the the right wing, we, he looks sensational and then scored the goal from there. Equaliser. Yeah, I think he's really good with that. He's happy to play a bit of a backseat role. He's he's playing just behind Salah, obviously, who's the main goal scorer, and Alexander Arnold, who's the main creator. And I think he's happy to take up positions where he's not going to get glory himself. He can cover for others. Um, I thought the shift they did last weekend against Manchester United was interesting. They played him on the right for a period, which he hasn't done really for quite a long time, but he can do that if needed. Um, so, yeah, he's, I think he's just a very useful player. I think their midfield is is kind of functional. It, there's not a great amount of creativity from it, but they... You know, it's a very important component in getting the best out of the front three and the fullbacks. His durability is very impressive. You think when he came in, he was he was that kind of Camoli era when they were flirting with Moneyball, and it was Charlie Adam and Andy Carroll and Stuart Downing and players like that. And he's managed to to endure throughout that. It's obviously a credit to Klopp, who's improved him as a player as well, but a credit to to his ability to be able to take on board coaching and criticism, like he got in that very strange way from Alex Ferguson all those years ago, mm. and that he didn't bite on. He said, "Well." If Alex Ferguson's got something to say about my game, then maybe I should look into it and see where I can improve it, which speaks to his character. And now here he is, a Champions League winning captain. Absolutely. And tremendous freestyler as well. Really? Did, a, yeah. He, a video of him when he was about 15 years old doing yeah, he some was incredible on, skills. Uh, yeah. Soccer AM. 
Yes. He was he was one up. of the urchins who turned up there mm. in, in a trackie and, and with just mad skills. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Not something I was expecting to hear this morning. No, no, but yeah, yeah, really. He's um, he's the real deal. <laughs> Um, I'd love to see him do that. You know, maybe if Liverpool get to the Champions League final again, stop on the halfway line and just bust out a few moves. Uh, anyway, I'll move on. Sorry, everybody. Right, next up, Liverpool are at home to Arsenal in the League Cup fourth round on Wednesday night. Spurs not in action because they lost to Colchester. Colchester, who've been rewarded for that victory with the glamour tie of the round, Matt, against? Crawley Town. Yes. Michael's thinking of going, I believe, such as the draw of the fixture. No, don't say that. I'm <laughs> encouraged to go. All right, I bet. I bet there's all sorts of interesting angles there, away from the you know the the spotlight of the, say the Liverpool Arsenal's. Uh, well, the only interesting angle is Crawley managed by the only Italian manager in the in the '92, Gabriele Cioffi. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. Yeah, six foot six, former Torino centre back, had one season in Syria. I don't recall his. Uh, playing days I must say clearly I do but we'll move on <laughs> uh, Man City meanwhile who beat Aston Villa 3-0 at the Etihad amongst the weekend's other results guess who they'll be facing in the League Cup Daniel mm, Southampton and then Southampton again on at the weekend yeah that's that's rotten, isn't it? Mm. Uh, could you give us a quick summary of, of City's performance against Villa? Um, huffed and puffed in the first half and then scored uh, 21 seconds into the second. Big punt up field from Edison. Mings missed a header and, and Sterling put it in. Um, Sterling on the on the long list for the, for the Ballon d'Or. And I wonder if he's got a chance of making the top three this year. There's this incredible statistic I found from the BBC. Scored in 43 Premier League games for City and he's never finished on the losing side. 17 in 18 for club and country this season. Um, I think he's probably got a, a genuine chance of maybe not winning it, but certainly getting on the podium. In terms of, I mean, if you're going to base it on goal scoring numbers like that, someone like Lewandowski kind of whittles on, on those numbers from a height. And that's before you even get into Arling Haaland, who's clearly the best footballer <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I mean, you could add the caveat that Sterling's doing it for his country as well, maybe you know, right. at a more elite level. I mean, okay. Lewandowski ticks that box. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe I'm Nabry's just, another one who's... Uh, maybe I'm just biased, but I think that his, his transformation into the player we saw a couple of years ago who you wouldn't trust with a one-on-one and now you struggle to think of many players in the Premier League who you'd rather have in that situation. I'm, I'm with you actually, Matt. I, I did make this point to Ian Wright the other day and he said, don't be stupid putting pressure on the young lad. <laughs> so, that's you told. Yeah. <laughs> this was, I think, a rare game where City really needed Edison who made a couple of great saves. I know they won 3-0 quite comfortably. You tend to forget because City don't, allow many chances but when he does have to be called upon there was a game against Spurs last season where he was magnificent and he made a couple of great saves here but City I think still do have defensive issues uh, Stones was back but he gave a terrible ball to McGinn for one of the uh, one of the chances that Edison had to make a good save from and then Fernandinho off a really silly second yellow I mean a kind of cynical stop a counter-attack but it was three minutes to go he was on a booking so he'll miss the Southampton game I know it's only Southampton they've just been thrashed but you don't really need that when you've got such injury problems at the back. Mm. All right, then. <clears throat> Southampton, then. Best get on to that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, to St Mary's and the most vicious Friday massacre since Jason hit Camp Crystal Lake. Jamie Vardy wearing number nine, looking for his ninth goal of the season, looking for Leicester's ninth goal of the night. Some of those players there were a disgrace. Vardy takes, Vardy scores, and not for the first time, Jamie Vardy leads Leicester into record-breaking territory. 
An extraordinary night at St Mary's. What a miserable evening. I'm absolutely cheesed off of it. I mean, to be truthful with you, Mush, we'll get Brexit before we get a win at home. Well, we can go now live to a some survivor of these scenes at St Mary's, Carl Anker, Southampton reporter for The Athletic, of course. Carl, what an extraordinary night to have been present at. It was utterly bewildering. Credit to Southampton fans, those who stayed and sang and enjoyed some of the finest gallows humour I've heard in a long, long time. Credit to those Southampton fans that left early and decided that wasn't worth their trouble because uh, you just don't know. You've no idea what was going on. Carl, when did you know something was up? I mean, the pre-match was calm enough, I imagine, but, but w- when did you twig that this wasn't just going to be an ordinary game? It was the point between the second and third goal where I didn't have enough time to tweet a description of the second goal by the time the third one happened. So I was midway through my analysis and went, goal, Leicester, da-da-da-da, blah-blah-blah, blah, and then goal happened again and there's just been a third goal right uh, and that was the point where i uh had to regretfully inform the brass band from southampton that i would not be writing about them this weekend and instead i would be writing about the chaos that was about to ensue i mean they continued playing like the you know the famous band on the titanic as you know the iceberg wrought its work three goals down then after 20 minutes reduced to 10 men and it ended up nine nil but just from a journalistic point of view you must have had the hair standing up on the back of your neck to to be there at the the biggest away win in 131 years of top flight football i I still can't properly describe it I, i could i could I just tried describing it from a tactical point of view. Right. And a Southampton fan said, Carl, shut up about tactics. We're just expletive. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, I tried describing it using stats and every single statistical model basically goes, this should not be possible. Um, and I'm still bewildered as to what happened. Leicester were utterly dominant. Anytime Southampton try to do what they normally do, which is drift left and right to press the ball. Leicester went, okay, we'll just switch it really, really quickly at fullback position. Uh, Ben Chilwell and Harvey Barnes look like complete world beaters. And I've never seen a football manager look like that in their press conference afterwards. Ralph Hassel looked drained of all colour in his face and basically said, 100%, you should blame me. Uh, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Uh, And then just sort of wandered off after four minutes of conversation. And now they've got Manchester City twice uh, in a week. So, blimey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sunderland were tweeting the, the, the Spidey meets Spidey meme with reference to the 8-0 they suffered at the hands of Southampton a couple of years back. Um, and your take is that Southampton are actually more or less where the Mackhams were four years ago. There's only so long you can flirt with relegation before eventually you succumb uh, and also where relegation becomes probably the better choice so you can wipe this late king clean in and apologies to any Southampton fans of this thing but um, it is incredibly worrying uh, uh, an observer pointed out there's only so many times you can stand in the middle of the road before eventually you get run over and, and there is that sort of point that Southampton used to recruit very very well and sell on these players for massive resale value. Whereas now their their most recent recruits aren't particularly of Premier League standard. So they have very little resale value and they're just sort of 
sinking like a rock through the Premier League table. They've got a very, very good manager who's going to be backed for the foreseeable future. Um, they made, uh, on Sunday, late on Sunday night, they made a very nice announcement that uh, the first team and coaching staff will be donating their wages to Saints Foundation, the charity, as a sort of mea culpa um, for their performance on Friday. But they've got a very brutal fixture list that only really gets calm towards the end of November. So by Christmas or by the time the January window opens up, they could be many points adrift in the relegation zone. Wow, what an incredible game. Did you actually tune in for this, Michael? I did. Right, even though it was Friday night. And, you know, because you <laughs> yeah, know, sometimes yeah. you forget. And yeah, also, yeah. No, I did. Yeah. To be honest, I tuned in thinking, I'm quite looking forward to this. This could be a, a quite a tight game. Interesting to see how Leicester try and break down Southampton. But the amazing thing was... Even after the first goal, because he had the first goal go in and then they went back to the VAR and sent him off. And Southampton had been quite bad up to that early point. And I did think this could be a real hammering. I didn't think it was going to be nine, obviously, because that just doesn't happen. But even at an early stage, five or six was looking likely. And clearly Leicester didn't hold back. I mean, there's a, a good clip someone found of Johnny Evans after the eighth goal, beckoning for his teammates to get the ball from the net and go back to the halfway line because Evans supposedly knew the record was nine nil probably as an ex-Manchester United player, and was determined to go for it. So, I mean, Leicester did not hold back at all, as and you can tell. Who's to say what that goal difference might mean mm. come yep. the end of the season? You know, it was a 90-minute disaster, but this is a Southampton for whom chickens are coming home to roost. You know, they, they always had that process of develop, buying players cheap, developing, selling them at a high price and reinvesting, but that process relies on two distinct things. One is... Um, buying good players and success there. And if you look at five of the players, did it this weekend for winners and losers, if you look at five of the players currently out on loan, Guido Carrillo, Wesley Hurt, Mario Lamina, Mohamed Al-Nunusi and Fraser Forster, they were bought for 80 million. They're all out on loan. Right. A club of Southampton size cannot afford to do that. How much should they sell Dusan Tadic for, by the way? 10, 12. Yeah. All right, who's now looking like... Yeah, although they... He, you know, Yeah, and he, he decided he needed that move partly because Southampton wasn't working. Right. The, I mean, the other thing they need is you need experts in position and Southampton have basically been gutted. You know, the, the vice chairman left. Uh, he was replaced by Ross Wilson, who's now just gone to Rangers. Les Reed was a kind of sporting director and he left. He was sacked in February. They just haven't got anyone in position to oversee anything. And... Yeah, this is what happens. They're not. We've talked about Manchester United so much. Their structure is bad enough that it's holding them back, but they've at least got the money to overcome it, potentially. Southampton haven't got that safety blanket, so they'll fall as far as they fall if they don't get it right. You wonder if, if Hasner, or maybe not on the back of this because it's too big, but if he's starting to think about plotting his own exit rather than them getting rid of him, mm. maybe he should have done a bit more diligence on the club before uh, he joined but the, the off the field issues definitely there but the, I mean the players reaction was dreadful there's a really good tweet from um, Stephen Harper the former Newcastle goalkeeper he said um, this is painful for Southampton fans I remember after an early red card being down to 10 in a game I think at Villa the great Sir Bobby Robson said at half time if everyone gives an extra 10% we'll be back up to 11 and it finished 0-0 not seeing that here mm. and the response from the Southampton players was absolutely mm. dreadful but you know at the same time Leicester 73% possession 25 shots I think I was quite badly wrong when I said that they're not going to challenge for the top four because they absolutely are by the looks of things well, we'll talk about what they can challenge for in a second just some other reaction on social media Duncan Alexander great to see a side weather the famously dangerous 2-0 lead and go on to add another seven Jamie Weir you've got some seriously good odds on Leicester City outscoring the All Blacks this weekend John Wright 
will it take until March again for you guys to start taking Leicester seriously? Bookies now have them as third favourites, says John Wright. Mm. I know Duncan didn't tweet his two-goal lead thing after the uh, Arsenal-Crystal Palace game, but there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah interesting. Well, John Wright throws it out there. At the moment, they are overperforming in terms of things like XG, and they're not actually creating a huge amount of chances. I think they're fifth for chances created, sixth for shots on target, but they're converting their chances unbelievably well. Now, When they're not playing teams like Liverpool and Man United. Yeah, who they've lost to, both you know, both of those teams, although have beaten Spurs at home. But the thing is, is that, yes, they might revert to the mean, but they also might start creating more chances. You know, it's not outside the realms that James Madison can perform better, that Iose Perez might settle in, you know, he scored a hat-trick on Friday. So, they could just get better rather than reverting to the mean. A uh, big fan of Jamie Vardy shushing the Southampton fans after the ninth goal, the most needless but Vardy piece of trolling uh, you could ever imagine. That. That's his oxygen, isn't it? <laughs> but, and very timely for any writers who just penned lengthy articles talking about Vardy's the greatest football story of the last decade. What 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 an amazing next chapter for him mm. as, as you it's you of course Daniel uh, on Football 3 oh, no was it on Football 3 yes it was yeah and you make the point that he's a player who started the decade at Stockbridge Park Steels working 12 hour shifts at the local factory getting paid 30 quid a game mm. yeah I mean he, he is he is the sixth top scorer of the Premier League decade and only scored one in the first half of the decade so it's a fairly impressive story sorry can you say that again he, he will end the decade as the sixth highest Premier League goal scorer and he only scored one in the first half of the decade now obviously that's partly because players don't stay in the league for 10 years anymore. Right. but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an incredible effort and you know, without going into too much detail about it, Brendan Rodgers is refining him. There's a really interesting piece on Sky Sports last week about the number of touches Vardy's taking to score his goals. And, you know, you look at the league and it's Raheem Sterling, I think, was third on 72 touches per goal and Vardy's down there on like 30 touches. He's basically saying, look, you're nearly 33. Let's manage your workload. Let's stop you, you know, dashing and daring after every player on the pitch and just get you in the right places and you'll score 20 goals and he will he's on nine already all right he's also given up the port and lucas aid i believe is that right there is an incredible story by uh, top uh, the the now leicester city owner um obviously after that tragedy who said that a year after vardy was at leicester he kind of got some reports from teammates that he was turning up drunk to training basically and he kind of said you know what are you doing to vardy and vardy sort of said well I've got all this money and I'm just so bored. I don't really know what to do. And like before when I was bored, I used to get drunk. So I've just been getting drunk. And it was like, yeah, 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 you can be better than that now, Jamie. But that's what he needs. He didn't really have the tools to focus himself. And now he has. And he has got the perfect manager in Brendan Rodgers. He really has. Excellent. Leicester are in action again on Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup. That's at Burton Albion. Who are the side who memorably lost 9-0 against Manchester City in last season's semi-final of this competition? Could be an interesting one, that. As for Saints, they've got Man City themselves this time around. And as Carl was saying, they have very publicly backed the manager. Mm. All right, after this, we'll get on to Chelsea, who Matt was watching this weekend. They're just behind City and level on points with Leicester. More from Matt after this. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Nearly dying in a laundry basket. Special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. 
on Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Michael says here, we're just 10 sleeps away from boarding a flight to Dublin and where we're going to be appearing live on Friday the 8th of November and then the very next night negotiating the tricky road up to Belfast for another live appearance. It's going to be quite a road trip, that, because we'll have uh, Ben and Julian Laurent with us. And Duncan. Also Duncan Alexander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, looking forward to it. Wow. I mean, it's almost worthy of a show on its own, isn't it? Anyway, if you'd like to come along and see uh, the bits where we turn up on stage, you can do the totallyfootballshow.com slash events is your venue for all your ticket needs. Producer Ben wants you to know he'll be giving away a Sony Xperia tablet at each show. And, and I believe this is part of the whole presentation, he'll be trying to beat his record of downing a pint of Guinness. Do you know how fast producer Ben, is only slight, how fast he can neck a Guinness? Seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's spookily accurate. No, I'm doing it, but it says 4.2 seconds. Ben says he can beat that. Watch the predictably hilarious consequences live the... on stage. Sorry. It's about opening the gullet, isn't it? So I was informed by former cricket colleagues. Seems fair. Hmm. So many things are, Daniel. Dramatic scenes Saturday as Frank Lampard discovers Christian Pulisic frozen in the ice for what feels like decades and unleashes Captain America. Matt, you were there. No, I was pretending to be there. Oh, right. <laughs> Matt, you were, you were there in a commentary booth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm trying to think of something to say that, that doesn't sound incredibly sycophantic because I work for the club, but I thought that Chelsea were excellent again in this game. I mean, even the two goals that they conceded, one of them was a brilliant goal from Jay Rodriguez and the other one was a, a deflected strike. But Christian Pulisic in particular obviously took the headlines, um, as you do when you, you score a perfect hat-trick. Uh, Particularly when you've not been in the side since when, early August? And first Premier League start since August, yeah. And, yeah. and, and Lampard at pains to point out that he had one week break in the summer, Pulisic, uh, because he played in the Gold Cup for the USA. Uh, so he's needed to be bedded in slowly. That's like the this. thing. Lampard's so good in the game, and then afterwards spoke so well, explaining everything. He really did, yeah. And and it's um it's a skill definitely to be to be able to do that. And you know, there's the the big um, Adam Hurry thing, which is very funny and quite often true about Lampard doing serious point joke, serious point. Um, but it, I thought he did speak fabulously after the game, as did Pulisic. Actually, in fairness to him. Um, but yeah, Chelsea six away wins in a row in, in all competitions. They've only ever bettered that once in, in the club's history. Uh, Burnley, supposed to be a difficult place to go, but they've got a terrible record against um, big six teams, if you like it. And Chelsea scored four goals there last season as well. But um, as I mentioned last week, the, the strength in depth is so impressive. And, and in particular in this game, other than Pulisic, it was um, Kovacic and Jorginho mm. who caught the eye. You think, you know, Angola Conte is is the Chelsea player who I think would get in any team in the Premier League. And and he wasn't available and he wasn't missed at all. And Kovacic, who looked such an ordinary player last season when under instruction his job was to pass the ball sideways, get it back, pass the ball sideways, get subbed off after 65 minutes, all of a sudden looks like a, an excellent investment. Chelsea 
were able to work around the transfer ban to bring him in on a permanent basis. And all these players who are still to come back in, not being missed at the moment. You'd have this Chelsea side over last year's with Eden Hazard, wouldn't you? I think I would, yeah. We, we were asked that question last week and I kind of gave a bit of a mealy-mouthed answer. But I think um, Hazard, obviously a sensational player, but there was such a reliance on him that when his levels dipped a bit, Chelsea just had no answer, nobody to come in. Mm. Now you look round the pitch, you've got those two midfielders who I mentioned, but you had hudson Adoy coming off the bench. He, Tammy Abraham setting up a goal again. Mason Mount looking good. Willian adding things. Uh, it, it, there's much more of a sort of collegiate approach to it from the team. At the moment, it, it's bearing fruit. And, and you'd think that now, it's something we discussed before the game on Saturday, was would it now be a disappointment if Chelsea didn't finish in the top four? And, and part of that is because of the perceived inadequacies at the moment of the likes of Arsenal and Manchester United and Spurs. But I think because of the way Chelsea is set up and because of the players that they've got to come back into the team, you would expect them to finish in the top four now, I think. Mm, absolutely. What do you make of Frank Lampard? Are you surprised at how well he's doing, Michael? Yeah, very very surprised. I didn't see much of his uh, derby side at all, so I thought he was a slightly peculiar choice, but he's done very well. I must say, I don't think Chelsea played particularly well in this game. I thought Burnley were, were quite dominant for the, the opening period. The goals were quite strange. You know, taking advantage of poor Burnley passes inside their own half. Pulisic did very well to win the ball for the first goal. But I thought Burnley gave Chelsea some problems. I'm not sure about Tamori and Zuma when they're kind of confronted with big physical centre-forwards and up against high balls. I thought Barnes missed a couple of really good chances. So, yeah, they're doing very well. I think I think going 4-0 up in this game was hugely flattering towards uh, Chelsea. Mm. Uh, uh, the interesting, uh, you know, we've talked about Angelo Kante and, and Burnley scoring twice and Chelsea looking a little bit open at that. They've still got their best defender to come back as well in Antonio Rudiger, mm. who is not, I don't think he's played a minute yet, has he? He's been injured all season. He played the first half against Wolves. He'd been out with a knee injury, picked up a groin injury in the right. game at Wolves. Yeah. Um, expected back imminently then. Yeah, and he will add a huge amount of, if he plays alongside a young player, he will make that young player better. Um, so it's kind of all, I'm, I'm like Michael, I'm, I'm hugely surprised. I did watch quite a bit of Derby last season and that has made me more surprised that they're doing so well this season. All right. Pope beaten by Christian, the uh, headline here again from Duncan Alexander. Very nice. Chelsea next up. We'll be hosting Man United in the Carabao Cup. Ooh. Really looking forward to this because they met in um, at this stage of the competition back in 2012 and it was 5-4 to Chelsea after extra time and it was one of the funnest games I've ever seen. And um, United had a centre-half pairing of Scott Wotton and Michael Keane that night. Did they really? Yeah. I remember watching that game and the players just looking knackered at the end. Like loads of 19, 20-year-olds who'd probably just never played 120 minutes against proper professional players before. And it was just chaos. It was brilliant. Ryan Giggs scored twice. What kind of teams will the will the two clubs put out, do you think, for this fixture? It's an interesting one. Um, Chelsea played Mark Gurhey and Billy Gilmore against Grimsby in the previous round, um, which was, you know, against Grimsby, so a totally different thing. Are they footballers? Sorry, yeah, they are. Um, uh, Billy uh, Billy Gilmore is a, he might have just turned 18, Scottish under-21 internationally. The business, they, they, yeah, he's really good. They got him from Rangers a couple of years ago. Um, very slight, but good technical midfielder. Gurhey is a, a centre-half who was one of the England under-17 World Cup winners. Um, you'd expect both of them to come in again. Uh, interesting that Giroud came off the bench instead of Batshuayi on Saturday. I wonder if Batshuayi will start that game. Manchester United, I mean, if I was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I'd be going relatively strong for this because they'd be looking at this as a competition that they could win, which would give him some breathing space and they'll presumably want to build on the momentum that they gained from Sunday. So, yeah, maybe not massive changes right. from both. OK, uh, that's uh, Sunday's win was uh, the second win in a row after Partizan Belgrade in the Europa League 
where they had a shot on target as well, didn't they? <laughs> uh, and they had lots of shots on target in the Norwich game. But uh, Tim Krul kept it down to 3-1, uh, not least with the, the two penalty saves. Paul Harrop says, our referees showing bias against Man United, making them take all these penalties instead of letting them <laughs> play on. <laughs> Uh, the, the penalty saves were remarkable, but it was actually the the one he pulled off against uh, Martial's header that was just mm. extraordinary. No, mm, yeah. I've not been able to work that one out at all. It's weird with goalkeepers. Quite often, when they completely flunk form, that's kind of it. It sort of happened with Fraser Forster, but Cruller had basically four or five years where he really went off the boil. He had a serious injury, didn't he? Yeah, at, at Newcastle, he went out on loan, then went to Norwich, and yeah, he looked absolutely brilliant over the last few games. Right. Canary Mark asks, uh, do you guys know what the record is for saving penalties in a season? Least uh, Norwich fans might have something to celebrate. Well, no. Right, <laughs> we'll ask Duncan on Thursday, Canary Mark. Tune in on Thursday. Oily Sailor's got your back. But United, though, whisper it, they're, they're getting better, aren't they? They look better, yes. Uh, Marshall and Rashford were excellent. Their combination play, particularly for the Martial goal, but a few other incidents before that. They were very, very good. And Martial started the season really well. I mean, against Chelsea and away at Wolves, he played well. I haven't ever really thought of Martial before as a proper number nine. I preferred him coming in from wide. But when he has led the line this season, I've been super impressed by him. So, yeah, the, the blow is that it seems like Pogba's going to be out until December, yeah. I think. So the midfield is still looking a little bit weak, although I think McTominay and Fred looked a lot better here than they did against Newcastle, where they were genuinely dreadful. Right. Will Pogba play again for Man United? That's... Mm. That's the question. The, the That's the easy headline. With on, on Rashford and Martial, you know, it's Manchester United's fault that they left only those two eggs in the basket. But they've scored a Premier League goal every 43 minutes when those two have been on the pitch this season. Which, so, I mean, that is potentially season-defining. If they can stay fit now until the end of the season, they can still make, whether it's top four, top six, whatever. If, they, if one of them gets another serious injury, then they're back to being in crisis again. I think it, it almost comes entirely down to that. Right, there's seven points off the top four, mm-hmm. two points off the mm. top six. Mm. Uh, uh, Rashford, I mean, I tweeted it yesterday, but he's got a hell of a lot of stick from some United fans this season. He has now scored or assisted more than Mane, Kane and Aubameyang this season. So it's not, it's not terrible. It's just that when Martial's not there, he looks isolated. And while Martial is there, they look like a partnership, which I agree with Michael. I, I didn't ever see that as a, as a, you know, a, a first-choice centre-forward line. Fair enough. Yeah, I just wanted to say on Norwich, they look like a team destined for relegation to me. And, and there was some talk at the start of the season that sort of praising their prudence for spending £750,000 on a reserve fullback. I think that, that was absolute madness. And, it, and it's, you know, you can't legislate for having so many players injured at one time, but they needed to invest some more money in their squad. And it doesn't look anywhere near good enough to be um, competing against anything other than, than relegation. All right. Uh, currently just two points from safety, but one point from the last five games. Only two wins all season. Bizarrely, one was Newcastle, the other Man City, but football, eh? Michael, meanwhile, on Sunday, you watched Arsenal Palace at the Emirates and then presumably watched it once again once you got home to find out what on earth had just gone on. Yeah, I think it was the worst example of VAR I've seen. Obviously, a very emotional, highly charged game. Arsenal seemed as if they'd got a late winner. Um, and then after two minutes of celebrating, the referee just walks back to the towards the goal and gives Palace a free kick inside their own box. There was absolutely no hint given to supporters about what the offence had been. 
and you know we're in the in the press box with screens we have fans in front of us turning around saying what was that given for watching the replay just had absolutely no idea so so basically on the bizarre. big screens at the emirates what does it say just under review uh, uh yeah under review and then it says no goal right or, or whatever but unlike the southampton game where there was a replay of the yeah. bertrand tackle and everyone said oh god that's a bad Fair tackle. Enough, yeah there was there was no there was no hint of it and i must say it, it if I was paying seventy, eighty pounds a ticket sometimes for these Premier League games, I'd, I'd be wondering whether it was worthwhile because it's incredibly expensive. It's not a particularly great experience spectating the Premier League in terms of you can't stand up, you can't drink, you can't do things you would do in other leagues or in other sports. The one thing that was great about it was it was the best place to be to watch a game. Mm. And you're going to these games and you're just left dumbfounded. Okay, there's always been, you haven't been able to see replays of controversial incidents, but this is a goal that you've celebrated for two minutes and you've got no idea why suddenly it's been wiped off. I mean, yeah. I I think it's an extraordinary situation we've got ourselves into. Right, there's been a, a lot of response on Twitter, a lot of people talking about VAR. A lot the, the predominant kind of feeling seems to be, well, if the referees went over to the sideline and then watched the monitor there, that would make it all right. But my take on this is, a week ago they were saying, well, we need to get rid of the clear and obvious rule. They did that, and we were in an even bigger mess. You you get the referee walking over to the sideline, which we have in other countries, and all you have is the same mess, but with another 90 seconds added onto your two minutes, while the referee goes over there and, and still doesn't know what's going I d- on. I don't know what the benefit of that is. What's the argument for the referee? Well, I think the argument screen? is that at least then the referee is reviewing his own decision rather than someone reviewing his decision. And having so been picked for a big game, he is, has a better chance of getting it right than whoever it is no, they've this, drafted in it. This but, argument but, doesn't make sense. But, but that's, that's but, an argument for not having VAR. That's not an argument, for, for my mind, that's an right. argument for not... But the, but the VAR on Friday night was Mike Dean, who's the most experienced referee. Yeah. And the argument was made that, oh, it's good that you've got an experienced referee because he was happy to overrule the referee. Yeah. So I don't understand, but... Well, you want him to be, you want... But anyway, does anyone in this room actually think VAR is a good idea? Nope. No. It's, it's not too late to reverse it. You know, there's no it. articles need revoking or anything. Let's just say this hasn't worked. Let's not do it. There you go. That's where we stand on the Tony Football Show, listener. If you feel differently, do write in and next international weekend we'll do a big special. <laughs> no, but I mean, I really, really appreciate hearing people's feelings because they're, they're, at the start of the season, everyone's like, this is good. Honestly, um, I'd be interested to know if anyone who goes to a Premier League game thinks, actually, this is kind of taking the piss. Strong words, Michael. I think the thing is, if you if you have VAR, that's fine, but don't show the game live. Edit it down, edit all the bits, correct the mistakes, and then show the edited product. It's seen. like this podcast, for example. It's not like we don't go back and review things. We do, but we don't put the raw feed out. That would be insulting Goodness to you, no. listener. Goodness, Goodness no. no. Well, match of the day the weekend before last, there was so much right. It was almost unwatchable because they have to show the incidents, obviously, yeah. and the decision-making, but it was... Probably about five minutes was just waiting to, you know, looking at rulers being whipped out so you can measure off sidelines, which <laughs> right. is just dreadful. Martin Finley says, if you had to rid the beautiful game of one of its modern facets, what would the panel choose? VAR, Premier League walkout music, sleeve sponsorship, Mike Dean, etc. Matt, your call? Uh, oh, it would be VAR. I enjoy Angry Birds and Visit Rwanda as um, sleeve sponsors. Okay. I, th- I think that's fine. But I was... Um, I was doing the commentary of the Ajax-Chelsea game with our friend Pat Nevin last week, oh, and yeah. he is a big VAR proponent. Mm. And he made a point which I hadn't really thought of before, which he said, you know, I train all my life to be a professional footballer and try and get to the highest level possible. If if you were to tell me that a goal would happen in a cup final that I was playing in that shouldn't have stood because there was no VAR to check it, then I would be absolutely devastated through no fault of my own. And I kind of get that, but, he knew but that. it's not strong enough He knew enough that when to, he started trying to be a professional footballer he, that's what football was he knew yeah. he, I understand that if we'd have had it 
and there was a, a, a watertight rule to stop these things happening and it had been taken away that people might be angry but that was always football. It's always also, been like that. Football's not there for him. It's for the people. <laughs> he's paid to take part in it. It's the people who pay you. It's there for it. Yeah, it's my, look, my argument is always life is imperfect and unfair. Why mm. should football be only different? There you go, Matt. Should we, we should talk about Granite Jacker. Yes. Well, as well, well there's two things, but you're absolutely right, Daniel. Uh, should we have a quick breather and come back with that? That's better, listener. Right. Uh, first off, we have to salute Gwendozi for getting away with an, just the most extraordinary challenge on Wolf Saha. Yeah, I'm in a proper rugby tackle. 30 seconds to go. Arsenal had a corner, threw everyone forward apart from Gwendozi. Right. Ball comes away. It was an American football tackle more than a rugby one, I think. I don't watch either sport, so I couldn't tell <laughs> right. you, to be honest. But it was it was as cynical as you've seen. It and really, like some linebacker blocking. Probably should be a red card in two different ways. I, yeah. I think one, because he was the last man. I don't really care if he got 60 yards to run. It's Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. He's the last man. And second, you just can't you can't jump into people like that. It's, it, yeah, I think it was a red card all day. Right. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is Xhaka. Mm. Daniel. Yeah, and, and to my mind, and I think most reasonable people's minds, uh, an incident in which absolutely nobody comes out of it well. So, the incident. So, he is substituted and he, the substitution is cheered, which happens quite a lot from football fans with unpopular players. He then kind of trudges off the pitch, but Arsenal are drawing and the fans wanting to move off quicker, so they start booing him and giving him verbals. Uh, he then reacts by taking off his shirt, telling members of the crowd to F off and going straight down the tunnel. Um, and as I say, it, to my mind, it, nobody comes out of that well. I, do, I don't see the benefit. I understand why supporters get frustrated, but I don't see the benefit. I never have in booing your own player. Jacker, however frustrated he was, should be professional enough to not do that because by doing what he did, he becomes the story. It would have been, you know, if he just sat down on the bench, we wouldn't be talking about it today. All right. Uh, and Emery deserves censure because by allowing the squad to choose the captain, by picking Jacker every week when he's clearly so out of form, uh, and then just making the first substitution every week when things go wrong, is both unimaginative and has hung his player out to dry. Right. I, I felt really sorry for Xhaka, yeah. personally. Um, he's a limited player, but he clearly cares about the cause, which is not something um, that it seems you can say about certain members of the Arsenal squad. And, and to boo him when he's coming off is just so counterproductive. I'm not sure what they were thinking was going to happen as a result of that. And, and we can sometimes easily forget that these are fallible humans. If you've got 60,000 people mm. deriding you when you've been doing your job... I don't know, it's, it, it, it doesn't feel right to me. He shouldn't yeah. have reacted how he did, but, you know, he's not an automaton. He's, he's not just going to have something really horrible happen to him in front of a massive crowd of millions of people watching on and not be able to react to it. Yeah, what have you got to say for yourself, Michael? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, actually, I haven't been there. I don't think the TV audio actually picked up how nasty it was. Oh, was it really? It was re- I, I've never seen anything... Oh, sorry, I've never heard anything like it at a game. Mm. And I think it was weird. I think it was actually three noises, three different distinct sounds. The first, I think, was genuine joy that he was being taken off. I don't think that was sarcasm because Emery often does like for like, you saw a striker came, coming on. I was sitting next to a, another journalist. I said, I reckon he might take off Lacazette, who'd been quiet, which I think a lot of people might have thought. But when it was Jacques, people were genuinely delighted. And then once everyone heard how delighted everyone else was, they went, we're going for this. This is a proper, we're going to be sarcastic. And then there was, when he was walking off very slowly, just genuine abuse. It was 
you know, people right. just sh screaming F off at him, which for your captain is quite extraordinary. This captain thing is going really well at Arsenal. So you've got him, Ozil. Who else is the, the owner of one of their five armbands? Uh, Bellerin, I think Obama Yang, right. and Holding? Socrates, um, maybe. Right, okay. But I mean, Arsenal have had, yeah, they've had various problems over the years with Galas. Mm. You know, Fabregas didn't act particularly well as a captain. Van Persie obviously wanted to leave. Recent years, the captain's basically never been on the pitch, which I think a few mm. Arsenal fans wouldn't mind that happening right now. <laughs> but it was, well. yeah, and I, I just, <laughs> it was, it was such a, it wasn't even just frustration at play. It was genuine just abuse the way you would expect if, you know, Ashley Cole came back to Arsenal. But I think Ashley Cole would probably get a better reception than Xhaka right wow. now. Wow. One thing we haven't talked about, the score. Crystal Palace coming back from 2-0 <laughs> up to make it 2-2. Two -two. And, and yeah, brilliant stuff from Roy Hodgson. Yeah, I mean, the thing I quite liked about Palace was they went 2-0 down within 10 minutes, but they really stuck to the game plan. They didn't really allow Arsenal many opportunities after that. And by the time they scored their second goal, I think they, I think they deserve to be back into it. They're, as always, they're very well organised. They brought Townsend back here, so they had a counter-attacking threat. Um, but it was a strange game. I mean, it was so incident-packed, and obviously four goals probably should have been five goals. But I'd struggled to tell you a single player who had a particularly good game. It was uh, quite strange afterwards. The actual incidents of the game rather took a back seat. Emery saying after the game that he would internally discipline Jacko. I wonder if he might... Tell us he's training really well for the next six months while consistently leaving him out of the squad and <laughs> to everyone's amusement. That seems to be the, the way to become more popular at Arsenal at the moment by being left out of this dreary, dreary team. I see. Arsenal kind of feel like the, the crisis club of the week, but I'm just looking at the table, seeing them fifth, four points off fourth place and thinking, is that not about par for where we thought they'd be this year? It is, but it, it might sound uncharitable, but it feels like everything that they achieve is because of a moment of brilliance from usually Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, although it was, it was Pepe in midweek. And everything that happens... You know, I think I said it last week, but this isn't a bad team. It's a team, a good team that regularly plays really, really badly, particularly away from home. Which... Right. Somebody tweeted us saying, um, did Arsenal get the wrong centre-half from Chelsea in the summer? Should they have got Gary Cahill instead? And I think the answer to that is yes. And in particular, as relates to the captaincy, you would be a much better choice right. than anybody who's got it at the moment. Rest of the Premier League. We'll have to fly through this, everybody, because you're busy, aren't you, listener? Brighton beat Everton 3-2. Boy, this sounded really exciting. That free kick from Pascal Gross. Woof. Mm, I feel wow. A bit, yeah, I feel a bit for Marco. So I know we've done VR, so I will just go, ooh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel a bit for Marco Silva because he actually got it right. They were controlling the game and... Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a ludicrous decision. But the problem for, for Marco Silva is that Everton have got one point from five away games this mm. season. And I think misfortune, which they've pleaded quite a lot has been accompanied by incompetence you know they've played five away games this season they got one point and they played Palace, Villa, Bournemouth, Burnley and Brighton so it, it's going to get harder before it gets easier and I still think he's in a lot of trouble. Right Everton hosts Watford in a narrative-tastic fixture this Tuesday in the EFL Cup Anybody else on Everton or Brighton? Big win. Big win for Brighton. Yeah, Br they? Brighton are probably going to finish around about where they did last season, but they've got a, a much more attractive style of play under, under Graham Potter than they did under Chris Hewton, so it'll be much more palatable to their supporters, I would guess. Right. It's a strange game. I mean, there wasn't much creativity from open play. You had five goals, two were own goals, one was a penalty, one was a free kick, one was Calvert Lewin almost with his first touch. 
It was just uh, it was just chaotic. I mean, you said about the gross free kick, but I thought it was dreadful keeping from Pickford. That's yeah, true. Just, Terrible wall as well, yeah. wasn't it? Every, every, he just almost hit it every, really hard, which I was really impressed by. He, he did, but goalkeepers should be prepared for that. That's what, that's what players are trying to do, isn't it? Right. But yeah. almost every game, he's. I don't think he makes many howlers, Pickford, but he makes a hell of a lot, yeah. or he concedes a hell of a lot of goals where you think, probably should like, be doing better there. A bit like Kepa last season, isn't it? Where he just, mm. there was no incredible saves. It was just... Mm. All right. It was it was close in the free kick, wasn't it? It was, it was gross, point blank. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Everton hosting Watford on Tuesday. Watford still looking for their first league win of the season after their 0-0 draw with Bournemouth. They are the first team since 2005 not to win any of their opening 10 games. Back then it was, oh, Watford. Okay. <laughs> a Watford side managed by a young Aidy Boothride. Yeah. Yeah. Still pulling up trees for the <laughs> under-21s. Right, I okay. Think, I think Bournemouth might go down, you know. What? No. Yeah, yeah. Tell us why, Matt. Um, because... So you think they're worse... Which team do you think they're better, worse than out of Southampton, ninth. Norwich and Watford? Uh, I think that Southampton have got the potential to improve. I think Watford might uh, go for a third manager and that might get them out. But I'm not seeing from... Bo- what I don't see from Bournemouth is Eddie Howe actually improving players that he buys. I think their transfer record's pretty patchy anyway and he doesn't seem to make players that come in better and I just wonder if this is the year that it that it catches up with him that's an astonishingly bold shout but I mean I really respect you for it Matt well they're five points above the relegation zone at the moment yeah. they haven't scored in any of their last three games uh, if Callum and they've Wilson been easy, easy easy looking games yeah, as well no? yeah uh, keep, keep an eye on them I think I think there might be a bit of trouble they're at ninth uh, West Ham had a 1-1 draw with Sheffield United who don't look like going down anytime soon they are eighth same points as West Ham Still unbeaten away from home. 58 games, that run of matches without losing by more than one goal in all competitions. Oh, my word. They're at 58 now. Just incredible. I quite enjoyed this game. It was very eventful. I mean, Sheffield United's system is so strange. The goal came from basically two defenders appearing in the opposite penalty box at the same time. And the, the goal they conceded was because they'd thrown so many players forward that Roberto could just kick a long hoof downfield, which bypassed eight players. And then uh, Yarmolenko plays a pass to Snodgrass, who's just got the whole pitch, you know, half the pitch to himself. So you think, hang on, Sheffield United, really attack-minded side, you know, concede a lot, score a lot. But it's the complete opposite. They've got the joint best defensive record in the league and they've scored the joint third fewest goals. They've had far fewer goals in their matches than any other team. So they're just a bizarre side, but I really enjoy watching them. And they're up to uh, eighth, so in Mm. danger of relegation probably. (laughs) (laughs) Is that my Jules Crystal Palace moment for this season? Feels like it. No, Bournemouth are going down. Mm. All right, mate. What what do you make of Newcastle and Wolves who shared the points in a 1-1 draw at St. James's on Sunday? I know you're a big fan of XG, Mm. so I'll mention it again, James. But uh, in terms of XG this season, Newcastle, the gap between Newcastle in 20th and Sheffield United in 19th is bigger than the gap between Sheffield United in 19th and I can't remember who it is in fifth place. In in the XG table. Yeah. I mean Newcastle are so such a lack of creativity. It's it hurts. But they've got some maximin. And they've got Miguel Almiron, but it, but the second yeah. half yesterday they they basically played as wing well, fullbacks really. They picked the ball so deep in the pitch. Steve Bruce said after the game Ting up Matt David Adams here but <laughs> Steve we said after the game you know we've, the reason we're sluggish is that this club's been sluggish for two or three years but they weren't like this in the second half of last season and he has better players so yeah it's not good Was it a decent point though at home to Wolves? Um, 
It, it, on commentary, I watched the first half of this game and, and they were going really big when Newcastle went ahead. Oh, the, the captain just when they needed him most. I'm thinking they've gone 1-0 up against Wolves in the first half. It's not like things were going dreadfully. Um, it's not a... It's not a bad result, but Wolves have come off a difficult Europa League game mm. on the Thursday, and this is the kind of game that Newcastle should have been looking to get three points from. In the end, they were actually lucky to get one because Matt, Matt Doherty should have won it late on after um, Longstaff had, had been sent off. I enjoyed um, Longstaff. It was Sean, wasn't it? Apologising to the referee for his tackle on the way off. Oh, that's nice. The, the best thing about this game was the presence of Sam Maximan and Adama Traore down the same wing. At times... The other 20 players were completely peripheral and it was just a, a case of whether either of them could keep their composure to play the final pass in the final third, which they couldn't, as we've come to expect. Mm. It reminded me of a game, aid, well, about four or five years ago in Serie A between Roma and Fiorentina and it was when Jovino was really on it and Salah was not the Salah we know now, but almost like a kind of Adama Traore figure. And the whole game was just getting the ball out to them on either side and seeing if they could do anything. Brilliant. It's just... Did Traore start this game off in the middle? Uh, yes. And then that was abandoned, despite the recent success against uh, Man City. Yeah, although that was... I think that Traore down the middle works better as a, a kind of... Not a surprise tactic, because it's pretty obvious, but a change of mid-game. Okay. A kind of reaction rather than... If you see him from the start, you can defend him quite well, I think. I've never seen a player who... He got man of the match again yesterday. He almost by default gets man of the match awards in bad games because he's so busy and he's so obvious when he gets the ball. I think it's just like, just give it to try or it's fine. That's the Premier League weekend then. Don't forget, if you're excited by things continental, that the uh, Totally Football Show Tuesday edition will be bringing you up today on all the action across Europe a little bit of a feature on that exciting proposal, by the way, for a, uh, what's it called, a Beneliga, the, uh, the the Belgium-Netherlands merger that could happen. Yeah. Crazy people are suggesting even as early as next season. <laughs> I know. Anyway, we'll talk about that on Tuesday. And after this, we'll talk about all sorts of other stuff like championship and darts playing footballers and all sorts of other things. Uh, right now, though, time to get some odds on Premier League-related things. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Listeners, you may want to make a cup of tea here or you may want to plump up a cushion because Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. And Lee, we're going to start with Southampton. Absolutely wallop 9-0 at home by Leicester on Friday night. So what's that done to their relegation odds? Yeah, they're certainly in the running, aren't they? They're 2-1. to one, But our market's just they'll survive. Just. Which is more than what could be said for manager Ralph Hasenhutl, who is our new favourite in the sack race. Because obviously... As for the relegation, we have Norwich and Watford both now odds on to go down at 4-6 to six and 10-11 to 11 respectively. And our traders are tipping Newcastle to join in the championship. The Magpies are 7-5 to five to get relegated. And back to Leicester, they're in action against Burton Albion in the EFL Cup, the Carabao Cup if you will. Um, can they get nine again? <laughs> we go 200-1 to one that Leicester record another 9-0 away win, with our traders making it odds on that the Foxes score at least twice, or 13 to 10, they score three times. And can you really put it past them? They're one to three to win this match, with Burton 15 to two to cause a major upset. Meanwhile, Leicester are eight to one to win the League Cup. Could be worth a sniff. And sticking with the League Cup, big, big game between Liverpool and Arsenal. Give us some markets on this one, please. Liverpool, the big favourites here, but you already knew that. They're eight to 11 to win this, with Arsenal priced at three to one. The same price for a draw after 90 minutes. 
If you fancy Arsenal's new hotshot Socrates to get on the score sheet at any time, you can get a price of 20 to 1 that he scores. Interesting. Liverpool's second favourites to win this tournament outright. They're 9 to 4 behind just Man City. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Raphael van der Vaar, we mentioned him the other day in conjunction with some Danish football chat. He He's managing now for Esbjerg. Matt? Okay, the Danish team. Fourth division, Danish. But they're not fourth division any longer. He just won the title with them. They are going up to the giddy heights of Danish third division. Could I proffer that they might have reasonable finances paying Mr. Van der Vaart as their manager? I'm not sure. I mean, you're welcome to make that assumption. Mm. And next time somebody's in who knows about this, we'll, we'll ask him. But it could equally be that he's doing a um, he's doing a Edgar Davids at Barnet, you know, just just helping yeah, out. True, true. Yeah. Just for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. And speaking of love of the game, football's not the only passion that Van der Vaart enjoys. Michael, did you know that he has just joined joined the BDO? I did know that. Yes. Oh, did you? Yes. Okay. He made his debut in May in the Denmark <laughs> it's more Open. More if you didn't know. Mike. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the rest of us were unaware. Well, I, I was totally unaware. He actually debuted last May in the Denmark Open, where he made it to the second round and got knocked out. But hell of a thing, darts. Presumably, his darts nickname is just Raphael van der Dart. Mm. Could be. Yeah. It's no Kevin the artist painter, but functional. No, that's best nickname in sport is uh, the Sheriff of Pottingham, which is a snooker player from Nottingham. Is it the best nickname? In <laughs> yes, it is the best nickname <laughs> okay. in sport. No, that's not even the best nickname in snooker. All right. Oh, and the best nickname in snooker? <laughs> Nigel Bond. Yes. Double O one four seven. Nice. Producer Ben wants to know world's strongest man nicknames. You've got some real peaches there. Obviously, Eddie the Hall, Eddie, Eddie the Hall Beast. Sorry, Eddie the Beast Hall. Uh, Gigantor was Brian Eddie, Shaw's Eddie. attempt at a. Thor the Mountain, Hapthor, uh, Any Mountain Railways or they don't really do. I mean, More as far as I don't know, um, I tell yeah. you what, uh, Van der Vaart's not the first football-related person to get involved in a darts competition. Do you know who entered the 2003 UK Darts Championship? Which Premier League manager at the time? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it Martin Yole? No. Oh wait, 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 wait. Good wait. guess though. Big Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So he entered the qualifying rounds, which I believe were held at the Reebok Stadium, and uh, the organisers want some, uh, wanted some publicity. So he got involved. He lost five 0 in his first round game. Who did he lose to? Some bloke from Southampton. Don't know what his n- uh, name was or nickname was. Sorry. Because he's the Premier League manager who looks the most like a darts player, mm. Sam Allardyce. So mm. that Pint- fits fits well. Pints of wine, difficult to keep the eyes straight, I imagine. Because <laughs> no, that's the thing. Then anyway, darts, it's a its a whole new ball game. Uh, Matt, you're, oh, you're taking care of Totally Football League show this Wednesday. Yes. With no Nottingham Forest to talk about because your pitch got waterlogged. Yeah, yeah, amazingly. We won't be able to crowbar in many references. I think we'll probably be talking about Swansea winning the South Wales derby Ooh. on Sunday against Cardiff as uh, Neil Warnock's final season in, in management continues to, to fizzle out. Uh, West Brom top of the championship. Preston, really impressive this season. Their second came from two down to beat Blackburn 3-2. Um, in League One, Duncan will be uh, dancing in the streets of Wickham. His boys... 
only behind Ipswich on goal difference, despite their manager Gareth Ainsworth trying to get literally any other job in football. Right. Um, and I dare say we'll give a mention to, to Jim Bentley, who up until this morning was the longest serving manager in English football's top four divisions. He's ditched Morecambe to go to AFC Fylde, who are in the, the National League. Yeah, they certainly are. Ambitious programme as well they have at Fylde. Yeah, it's a real shame like that, Edgeburg. though. Hmm? Very similar to Ebsberg. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, the Cowleys, since they took over at uh, Huddersfield, they were completely unbeaten, aren't they? Another win for them. On Saturday, they beat Barnsley. So, yeah, they are, they're working their magic out. I just still think it's really odd that they chose Huddersfield over, over Sheffield Wednesday. But right. maybe, you know, they did their diligence. And as we spoke about with Haas and Uttle, it's a, it's a better run club, uh, albeit much further down the, the table this season. Mention what's going on in the Totally Football Show European edition. Uh, all sorts of bonkers stuff in there. But there's also the offside rule and there'll be a lot of WSL chat in today's uh, episode of that. Matt, you actually covered West Ham Chelsea, which I enjoyed the highlights of. Where was that ground, by the way? It's Rush Green, which is West Ham's uh, training ground. West Ham, uh, only their second season in the top flight. And they I think they were in the third tier, actually, before then. They, they applied for a license to get in the WSL, so they haven't got a deal with um, like Chelsea have with FC Wimbledon or Arsenal have with Barnet uh, etc uh, but fabulous game really enjoyed it Adriana Leon came on scored probably 10 seconds after her introduction um, Chelsea turned it around their top of the league G So Young with the pick of the goals she's got to be one of the best players that the WSL's ever had she's fantastic um, but the, the big game of the weekend was Arsenal beating Man City by a goal to nil Vivian Miedemar, Chelsea atop, Arsenal uh, and Man City tucked in behind them. That was the first goal Man City have conceded in the league all season. Arsenal have won 15 of their last 16 home games. Wow. All right. Well, if you're hungry for more of that, Offside Rules WSL podcast will be out shortly if it's not already. Excellent. So Thursday, a Totally Football Show will return uh, with... All the Carabao Cup news. Are you heading to a game, Michael? That Crawley? No, I don't. Uh, I think I'll um, follow that one on the wireless. I yeah. see. I see. Daniel, big plans for the week? No, I'm not. I'm not actually. Ne- I'm having a quiet week. So it's a bit mad next week. Oh, what so. with Champions League? Yeah, I'm doing a nice little double header in Germany, Dortmund, Inter, and Leverkusen, Atletico, which is nice. <sighs> Good, sensational, man. Ah, mm. uh, getting muddy knees. I'll be on the WSL show that you mentioned, uh, which we're recording later today. Totally Football League show Wednesday, and then yeah, off to the bridge for the the Man United game Wednesday. Brilliant. All football all the time. All football. Excellent. Well, listener, I hope you have a terrific week. However, you choose to spend it. Uh, do join us for any any number of those uh, aforementioned podcasts, and then we'll be back on Thursday. And uh, many thanks to Matt, Daniel, and Michael for being with us today. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Thank you.